if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. At Horse Chat today, I'd like to welcome back Jen Hamilton. We'll talk some more about show jumping. We're going to talk about combinations related fences, but also water jumps. But before we do that, I'd just like to remind you about the mission at International Horse College. The mission is to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. Have a look at the wide variety of equine courses at internationalhorsecollege.com registered training organisation 31352. Now, welcome back, Jen. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good to have you back, Jen. Now, just thinking about our last chat, and we did talk about the different types of fences. I know that when you were explaining it to me, I was drawing diagrams, talking about the highest point that the horse is over a jump. And I know you've done some really good explanations in your book, Stride Control. But um, just in case people haven't quite got that book or they've ordered the book and it hasn't been um, delivered yet, we're going to put some diagrams up on Horse Chat. So go to horsechats.com, search for Jen or search for Hamilton, and on your previous chat, we'll have that up and, and have those diagrams up as well. Now, today we're going to go over water jumps, or is there anything else you need to say about the previous chat, Jen? Well, I think we should review just the geometry a little bit. Mm, it's important. About the different jumps. Mm -hmm. The um, On the vertical, highest point is over the top of the jump. On ascending oxers over the farthest element and how it sends you out into the line. Square oxers, you go deep and you land a little bit shallow. And then we have the famous water jump. Well, the water jump, which really I think people obsess with, I don't know why they do, but water jumps really are only used in higher level, you know, FEI courses, at least around here. But we have a lot of liver pools, and liver pools are water jumps or simulated water with a pole over them. And what a liver pool does is it actually backs the horse off a little bit, and so the rider needs to be that little bit more assertive. From liver pools, then you actually work towards open water. If you're actually training for open water, what you need to do is, first of all, treat it as a liver pool and have the simulated water. Um, and I suggest you just use a tarp and not have any water in it, but just a tarp or something and have a pole over the middle of it and teach the horse to open up its body. If there's water in it, it's just another element of surprise which people don't know about and the horse doesn't know about. I think people obsess about water and thinking they need to train it. If you're going to train water, you better totally do it with conviction because you only got one shot 
at giving horses confidence at water. If you scare the bejesus out of them the first time, that is going to live with them for the rest of their lives. So just be very organized, have trainers there, have people to help keep you in, guiding you in, and that's all I need to say about it. Okay, okay. Look, I think we've got such a, a big topic today. Anyway, we're talking about combinations and related fences. We often put them together in the same thing, but we need to know what's the difference. You know, what's a combination? What's a related fence? And the rules. What are the rules for combinations? What are the rules for related fences? So I've sort of put four questions there all together, but we really need to know, you know, we talk about combinations and related fences. What's the difference? What's the difference and what are the rules? And these are show jumping rules we need to know. Um, first of all, a related distance is a specific measured distance between two jumps. And in show jumping, we think of related distances probably up to seven strides. After that, we don't really think about it. In a uh, related distance, if you have a refusal, let's say it's a second fence, and you just take that one jump. And that is the difference between just a related distance and a combination. A combination is a distance of one or two strides. Anything at three is not and more is not considered a combination. In a combination of one or two strides, if you have a refusal within that combination, you have to go and do the whole thing again. That is the main difference. All right. So we'll just remind everyone, if you're in a combination, you have to do the whole thing again. Related fences, yep. you don't. You just go on to whichever fence you, you've missed. So a combination will be A, B or A, B, C. Whereas, Once it's A, yeah. B or C, that is a combination. Okay. Okay, so if you start going over A, you miss B for some reason, you have to come back around and do A again, going on to B or ABC. C. Yep. Do yep. the whole yep. thing. Okay, yep. okay. All right, whereas related fences you don't. And what would happen, say, if you had six and seven as a related fence, what would happen if you came back around and did six and then seven again? You're eliminated. Okay, so you're eliminated if you start at the beginning with related fences, but you're eliminated with combinations if you don't start with the beginning. Okay, now... Can I just add something here? Can I just add, what happens as a trainer and somebody comes for a lesson and they stop on the second fence with the line, not a combination, but they stop in the second line, and they go... Because they're trained, they go, well, just go do the whole thing again. And what happens is riders start to think, oh, I've got to do the whole thing again. That whole lie. And, of course, that gets them eliminated. So as we as trainers and riders have to remember the difference between training and competing. 
If you're in a combination, ABC, you do the whole thing. If you're just in the line that jumps six and seven, you only do the, if you stop on seven, that's the only one you do. And it's something riders have to remember. Yes, yeah. And I think because we talked earlier about preparation for competitions too, you know, and you had suggested that we have some courses and go out and just practice doing the course as preparation for the competition. Exactly. Now, these um, combinations and related fences, what I want to know is because at show jumping competitions, you often see them in a straight line. There's two questions here. Do combinations always have to be in a straight line? Do related lines always have to be in a straight line, you know, so that the jumps are uh, parallel to each other? Combinations are always parallel to each other. They're in a straight line. Related distances are not necessarily in a straight line. And that's when we have bending lines and broken lines and this type of thing. And in a combination, because of the distances, the course designer dictates the number of strides that must be put in for success. I mean, horses have added strides within a combination, and they've lived to tell the story, but they're not going to be great horses. The combination, ABC, dictates the number of strides. But when you have a related distance, more than three strides, three strides or more, there's room for interpretation. And even on a straight line, there's room for interpretation on riding the horse. Knowing your horse is the shortest ride horse, you might add a stride early and then jump. Now, on broken lines, there is a definite allowance for interpretation in how many strides you're going to take in. And that is all determined by, first of all, your horse's stride, what happened over the first jump, whether you have to bring him back, regroup before you make the turn. If there are reasons that people will without add within a line. And in show jumping, there's no penalty for adding a stride within a line. All you have to do is jump the colored sticks clear and stay within the time limit. Yeah, okay. And I think that's a very clear rule, isn't it? Jump, go clear, stay within the time limit. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, 
Maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yeah. What about smaller jumps? You know, you've got a young horse, first competitions. Are these combinations and related lines going to be the same distance if they're jumping smaller jumps? Definitely not, or Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be. And a good horse designer takes a lot of consideration. And it's all, again, going back to the geometry, the arc of the jump. And there are other factors that determine how a course designer decides the distances within lines. Like, first of all, the first you have to remember that the first line rides the longest and the last line rides the shortest. So if you were starting out on a related distance in the line, it might be two feet short from what you might think it should be. But the course designer has taken into consideration the horse's momentum for the first line. The last line rides usually rides the longest. That's the theory of what we go on. And the course designer actually opens the distance because the horse's momentum has picked up. The actual distance, how it's being decided, and course designers have to be a brilliant people. They have to know the conditions of the footing, the types of jumps, the horses that are competing, and they set distances accordingly. I personally think that course designers are the most important person at a competition. They decide how things are going to go. They can set up courses to destroy horses, or they can set up courses to encourage and bring out good show jumping. And fortunately, course designing has become an art form. And we have wonderful course designers around the world now. So that's a little bit of a rant for me. Now, going back to your question, the lower the jumps, the, they usually start out as a 12-foot stride. As the jumps get bigger and wider, the horse is getting a bigger gallop. And so the distances are measured more open to accommodate this power that's having to be created. The one place they don't particularly open up distances that much is in a combination. That is where the test of scope in riding comes in. So the horses will be allowed to gallop these big individual fences, and then they go into these combinations, which is a total athletic test. And the distances aren't, they're tough. And that's why the combinations at the Olympics and things are such a big test. What about uh, if we want to improve ourselves? Are they the same? You know, I'm thinking about, I'm going to ask you about some rider exercises. Are we doing the same rider exercises for combinations and related fences? 
Are they the same sort of exercises we should be working on? Or are we working on different types of exercises between the two? And, and what's some good rider exercises? Well, I think, first of all, horses have to be taught in how to jump individual fences, verticals and oxers. Then they have to be taught to jump them within related distances. And the teaching of the combination is done actually quite early because we do so many gymnastics. So the horses are used to seeing at least three jumps ahead of them. When people who don't do gymnastics get intimidated by seeing a combination because they've never experienced three jumps ahead of them. I mean, you look at all those red and white poles, it can be intimidating. But if you've done a lot of gymnastics, you're used to seeing those poles, and so are the horses. So from gymnastics, because they're used to the visual picture and with the combination of doing lines, related distances, you start doing the combinations, uh, one stride to a two stride. And it's always easier to go from a one stride to a two stride an increase of stride length than it is to go from a two stride to a one stride. Just know that. Always practice a one stride to a two stride before a two stride to a one stride. As you're practicing combinations, you can, there's, of course, a vertical, vertical oxer, which is probably the easiest combination once you start jumping in with an oxer, where the horse has to open up its body, as we discussed last time, and then have to go into a vertical, that's a really tough test, very tough. And so you, you have to have done gymnastic exercises in stride control that the horse learns to come back, and the rider has to have control of their body so they can actually help the horse come back. One of the main problems in combinations, I think, is a loss of rider position, horse direction, and too much or not enough power going in. Those are the problems. And people have to practice things. I keep saying, you've got to practice so that you know the feeling under you. What does the rider have to create? What is that feeling? What is the power you have to have under you so you can negotiate those jumps in front of you? It's not luck. It's practice. And the exercises that we're doing for the rider, they're the same exercises for the horse. We just keep practicing those exercises that you've talked about. Yeah, I mean, you can't keep practicing at heights mm. and things, but you can practice width. I don't think people, people get obsessed with how high they jump. People have to take more, put more attention into how wide they jump and what are the consequences of their position in the air and on landing. Because the wider you jump, 
the more your position starts getting knocked around. And you have to have a very strong position. So how do we keep riders' position strong? They ride without stirrups. They trot around in two-point. And trotting around in two-point makes them stronger than cantering around in two-point. Riders have to have a very strong core in order to jump combinations. It's very simple. I just think that's great. And I think just the exercise, you know, trot around in two-point, it's... um... We can do that anytime. We can do that warming the horse up, getting, you know, the horse doesn't have to get worn out by just jumping, jumping, jumping all the time. There's so many other, you know, you've sort of talked about all the other exercises and everything else that we need as well. Um, within a course, how many combinations or related lines are we likely to see? Well, in lower levels, jumpers, you don't see any. As you go up, you'll see one. And probably the most you'll see is two um, combinations within the class. That's at, you know, pretty higher level. And then you might see more when you're at the Olympics. Now, Jen, anything else that we need to know? Have we missed out anything? Is there anything else that is relevant to this topic? Well, Well, I think part of it is people being able to do a valid assessment of walking a course and knowing how, as I said in the beginning, the first line rides the longest, the last line rides the shortest, just because the horse's adrenaline gets up. But you have to really be aware of the footing. What is the footing like? Is it deep? Well, we talked about, you know, you asked me about grass in things last time is, you know, is it deep footing? Is it grass? Is it slippery? Knowing that type of thing. Then knowing the actual measurement, you know, well, I think actual measurement is the most important thing to begin with. And then looking at the types of jumps within the line, a vertical to an oxer, ascending oxer is the nicest first line you can start with. And you also asked me about bending lines. I love course designers that start us on a bending line because it doesn't give you a totally committed distance count that you can actually, if the horse has a little bit of trouble, you can go a little bit wider, you can go shallow, whatever you need to do to get to that second jump, you can change the turn. So are you starting out on a related a straight related distance. Are you starting out on a bending line? What is the footing like? Are you starting away from the end gate or going towards the end gate? All of these things are important when you're thinking about how lines will arrive. What kind of distractions are around the race? Is there a popcorn machine? you know, in that corner over there that's going to make the horse cut the corner before they go into the combination. You know, people, they've got to do realistic and valid course walking, not just walk around to see the path, which is part of what you're doing. Well, where's one, two, three, four, five, six? But you want to walk around looking at the course where you want the horse to go 
So you're actually getting a, a valid picture of what you're going to see when you're on course. You know, just standing at the end gate and going, oh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. That doesn't give you a picture of how you're going to ride it. Walking the course is very valuable. It gives you a sense of where you're going, and it gives you that visual picture. And I think the visual picture is very important. And you talked about getting the actual measurement. You talked about a 12-foot stride earlier. When would we expect to see a variation of 12 foot? Oh, once you get to higher levels or, to, you know, again, if it's the first line, last line combinations and things, but usually it's based on a 12 foot stride. Mm-hmm. Jen, thank you. If people would like to contact you, what's the best way? They can go to horsechats.com, search for Jen or search for Hamilton, but um, if they need to contact you direct, what's the best way? Um, I would say it's Jen Morrison Hamilton, equestrian coach on Facebook. Perfect. All right. So if you want to contact Jen and um, talk to her about any other questions that you have related to show jumping or particularly about this chat, um, if this is your first chat before you contact her, I think just go and listen to some of the other chats that she's done and um, just get a little bit of a feel. And, and she's got lots of knowledge. She always gives us lots of information within these chats. And we look forward to talking to her again soon. Show jumping specialist. So thanks, Jen. We will catch up with you very soon. Thank you. And everyone be well. Bye-bye. Bye now. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.